You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Continuing to go uh, chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the book of Philippians. If you're uh, new here, first time here, we go through the New Testament on Sunday mornings. We're in the book of Philippians. We go through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. We're in the book of Joshua. And so uh, we just make our way through different books of the Bible. Uh, we are going to do something a little bit different uh, at the end of our series in Philippians. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of break, a little bit of a break before we jump into Colossians, and we're going to look at the cross for about four weeks in the month of March, leading up to Easter. And uh, we're going to look at um, just you know some some aspects of the cross and the purpose of the cross and 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 the reality of the cross and what the cross does in our life and and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but typically we go through straight through uh, books of the Bible and Philippians has probably been uh, my favorite book to teach through thus far. And I always say that I said that in Second Corinthians. I I say that a lot, but I Philippians has been amazing and it it has challenged my life. I, I'm sure it's challenged. And you and I, and I think it's changing our lives. It, it's it's amazing uh, the things that Paul lays out here for us. And I don't know how you could leave here not being challenged and not being just absolutely arrested in in your heart uh, over these things. And so this morning we're going to look at Philippians chapter three verses twelve through sixteen. And each week as we've been in Philippians, we've been talking about joy and, and joy in different things. And this, this week, it's joy in pursuing, in the pursuit of God, joy in the pursuit of Jesus. And as we read our text and as we make our way through the text this morning, I want you guys uh, to see three things. First of all, Paul's confession, then Paul's pursuit, and then Paul's encouragement. So let's read our text and then we'll look at those things. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And Father, as we open your word, once again, God, it's, it's a privilege to own a Bible or to, to be able to come freely and and to hear your word and to be taught your word, Lord, it is, it's an amazing privilege that we have that so many around the world don't have. And Lord, we thank you for it. And we thank you for the powerful word of God, Lord, that you have written to us. And Lord, this morning, we want to hear from you. God, we don't want to just sit through a message and be entertained or, or laugh and, and walk away and not even be changed a bit. God, we want to hear from heaven. Lord, we want to hear from, from you, our creator. Lord, right into our situation, God. We long to hear from you. We pray this morning that you would speak to us, God. We want to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing we see here in 
verse 12 is Paul's confession. The beginning of verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. And really what this does is it backs us up to verses 10 and 11, where Paul talks about his desire, his heart, his goal, and that was to know Christ, to know Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul had an intense desire to know Jesus. But then it's as if he comes to the understanding that, well, maybe you've misunderstood me. I'm not perfect. Yes, I have this desire, and yes, I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord, and, and yes, he's my number one passion in life, but I haven't already attained, and I'm not perfected. He, he had this genuine desire, but he hadn't arrived. He hadn't arrived yet. And, and that really ties in with, with Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks about his weaknesses, where he talks about his struggle with the flesh, where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Or how about in, in 1 John, where, where we're told that this idea that you can come to a place of perfection in this life is absolute garbage. It's not biblical and it's not practical. If you look at your life, if you look at other people's lives, you, you see that we're all struggling with sin. And so this doctrine that's called perfectionism is just not true. And Paul makes that clear here. And John makes it clear in 1 John where he says, he who says he has no sin deceives himself and the truth is not in him. And John wasn't writing to unbelievers. John was writing to the church. And he says, look, if you do sin, when you sin, you have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father. That is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And when you sin, all you need to do is confess your sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And maybe you've come here this morning and you just are discouraged and you're depressed and you're defeated in your Christian walk. And you think, you know what, I might as well give up because everybody else is doing so much better than me. And the message here in Paul's confession is that we're all on a journey. We're all pursuing God and none of us has arrived. None of us is perfect. None of us has come to a place of maturity. We're all growing. Yes, we're in different places, and some of us are more mature, and some of us have found victory in areas that maybe you haven't, but we're all growing. And Paul's confession gives us hope that this is a struggle. This is a difficulty, this, this walk with Jesus. And, and we'll never, until we get to heaven, and the presence of sin is done away with, and our flesh is completely eradicated, we'll always be in this place of pursuing Jesus, of growing, of maturing, never arriving, never being perfect. And I think Paul's confession really ought to, to help us to understand that we're all in a process. We're all in a state of change. 
And, and it ought to help you to be able to admit that you haven't arrived yet. And that's why I, I kind of have the style of teaching that I have. And, and sometimes people, you know, they, they think, man, are, are you really allowed to say that? Or is that something that you can really say in a church? You know, and, and people, um, I see your faces. You know, often I, people don't say anything. It, um, but I, I can see your faces, you know. And, and, or, man, I can't believe that he admitted to that. Or I can't believe that he said that about, you know, something in his relationship with his wife or his kids. And, and the reason that I do that is because... I want you guys not to see me as some spiritual giant. I don't want you guys to see me as someone who has attained or is perfected and put me on a pedestal. It's like the last thing in the world I want you to do. I want you to see me as a peer, as someone who is on a journey with you. I'm not above you. I'm not superior to you. I'm a peer. I'm someone who is walking with Jesus. Yeah, and I'm called to teach the Bible. And, and I'm called to pastor, but a lot of times God calls like the most foolish of us to do that because, you know, he, he knows that if he wants to get the glory, he's going to use the absolute most idiotic and foolish people that he could possibly find. And that's why he chooses people like me. I'm not somebody great. I've got wicked thoughts. I've got horrible things that I say. I fight with my wife. I don't always treat my kids good. You know, I'm just a guy. I'm just a regular guy. And so I don't want you to put me on some kind of a pedestal. And that's why I say the things that I do that make people go, whoa, you know, that's totally insane that he just said that. It's because I want you to relate with me. And I want you to see that we're all pursuing Jesus together. We haven't arrived yet. And that's what I love about Paul. Because Paul is, is probably the most spiritually mature guy that's ever lived. Spiritually mature person that's ever walked the earth. The, the most successful Christian. And yet Paul says he hasn't attained. He hasn't arrived. And so if Paul can say that, then we ought to be able to say that. And you know what will happen if we begin to actually confess that we don't have it all together, that we haven't arrived? What will begin to happen is that we will begin to relate to people and you'll begin to be able to minister to people and you'll begin to be able to evangelize effectively because people will see that, yeah, this guy's kind of messed up, but but I relate to him. He he doesn't have it all together. And they won't call us hypocrites because we're not trying to be anybody that we're not. We're not trying to put on a happy face or put on a facade or be phony. And see, that's what the church so often does. And, and sometimes it's pastor's fault. It's my fault that we give you the idea that somehow you've got to, you know, be a certain way and act a certain way. And so people come to church and, and they put on a facade and they put on a face that is absolutely contrary to what's going on in their heart. But you know who sees right through that is your kids and your spouse and the rest of your family and your coworkers. And they see right through that. 
and they see that you're, you're trying to act as if you've got it all together, but you're totally messed up. And, and they think, man, that guy's a hypocrite. That gal, man, she is, she's a phony, man. I don't want anything to do with that. But if we begin to confess our faults, and I'm not saying like get weird and give people too much information. I'm just saying, I'm just saying if we act as if we're on a journey and we don't act like we're better than non-believers, we don't act like it's us versus them, and we just relate to people, that they won't say, man, I, I'm not ever going to church because all those people are perfect. How could I relate to those people? Or they won't say, I'm never going to church because all those people act like they're perfect, but they're just a bunch of hypocrites. See, it's our fault. We try to defend ourselves, but there's really nothing to defend because we've kind of created this mess. And so if we understand these things, and we begin to apply these things. Man, it could change our life. It could change our ministries. It could change our influence on the community. And when people come to you, and, and they've maybe got some criticism for you, or they're critical of you, it will change the way you respond to that. Because you know how we normally respond to that? If you're anything like me, that wall of pride goes up, right? And we just cut it off. We don't want to listen to anything people say. How dare you think that someone such as I could have any fault? How could you come to that conclusion? Do you know who I am? Do you know how many times I've read the Bible? Do you know how many Bible studies I've given? You know, And this wall of pride goes up. And... Do you know that I was raised in the church? And all these idiotic things that we say. And what happens a lot of times, that wall of pride goes up, and then we begin to go on the offensive. Well, who are you? How can you judge me? I saw you do this, and you talk that way, and you're not very nice, and you know all these things, and we start pointing the finger at people. Because we don't want to hear about us, and so we go on the attack. And it's just pride. It's not having come to grips with the fact that you're flawed and that you fail and that you haven't already attained and that you're not perfected. See, when you, when you have that perspective and you have that realization, when people come to you with criticism, when people come to you and they point out a flaw, and people will, it's just part of life. When they do that, that wall doesn't come up because you go, you know what? If you only knew, like, the whole story, if you only knew how terrible of a person I am, if you only knew the thoughts, if you only knew how wicked my heart is, man, we could sit here all day and talk about these things. But what do we do? We defend the, the one little thing, and maybe it isn't completely true. People criticize me. People have left the church for things that aren't true. People have, have criticized me oftentimes. And, and I think, you know what? That's so stupid. I want to call them and I want to give them a piece of my mind. How could, how could they say that about me? Do you know how ridiculous that is? That isn't true at all. And I want to set them straight. 
And I used to do that a little bit more than I do now. I used to try to chase people around and put out fires and you try to defend myself. And it, it just is absolute futility. Because all you do is look like a complete idiot doing that. It may not be true. But you know what? There's a lot of other things that are true. It's kind of like when you get pulled over and you're thinking, you know what? This is the most ridiculous thing in the world. You know, yeah, I was driving in the right lane and you're supposed to stay in the left or whatever. Right? Or you weren't even doing what they said you supposedly were doing and you argue with the cop. Here's the thing. You know you deserve like 20 other tickets that you didn't get. <laughs> right? And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with the criticism, with, with people pointing things out. Maybe that thing isn't true. Maybe it's not completely accurate. But what you ought to say and what I ought to say is, man, if you saw me at home, do you want some more fire? Just go talk to my wife. She'll give you plenty. The one person in this church that's not under some grand illusion that I'm a great guy is my wife. She'll tell you. She'll tell you. And that's the place that, that God wants to bring us to. It's just to say, you know what? You're right. I need to work on that. Will you pray for me? Not a wall of pride, not going on the offensive, but just saying, you know, I haven't already attained. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. But Paul doesn't use that as an excuse. And that's sometimes where we get as believers. We'll say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. And so now we use that as an excuse to be an idiot. Now we use that as an excuse to just go and sin. To treat people terribly. To say whatever we want. And, and that isn't the other extreme God wants us to go to either. Because Paul says here, but, but, and that's what I, I, and I love being able to say this, that's a big but here. <laughs> but, it's something that you, you need to, to take note of. Because he doesn't use it as, as an excuse, but he says, but, I press on. I press on. I don't allow these things to hold me back. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, or sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, or to have matured, to have seized upon perfection. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's saying, look, even though I fail, and even though I know I'm not perfect, I put those things behind me and I pursue Jesus. This is Paul's pursuit. His one pursuit was Jesus. If you think about your life, what is your one pursuit? What is your master passion? What is that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? Is it Jesus? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a relationship that you're pursuing right now and you think, man, if I can just have that, I'm going to be so happy. 
Maybe it's a, a new house or a project that you're doing at your house. Or it's some hobby, it's some recreation. It, it's, it's the big buck or the big elk or having enough money to be able to shop wherever you want to shop. Or the newest piece of clothing or the, a new watch or whatever stupid thing that, that we might pursue in this life. I'm kind of wanting a plasma TV, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's a different story. But whatever it is, whatever it is, if you were thinking about buying me one, you know, 48 inches would be fine somewhere in that neighborhood. <laughs> if you want to go beyond 50, I'd be cool with that too. But Paul didn't want his present defeat to hinder his future victory. Paul didn't want his present defeat. The things that he saw are just so clear to him. The sin in his life, the things that he talks about in Romans chapter 7, as we mentioned that he didn't do the things he wanted to do and he ended up doing the things he didn't want to do. Paul says, I'm not letting those things drag me down. I'm, I'm pressing forward. And Paul uses, as he does often, athletic imagery here. He, he uses athletic metaphors. Clearly, Paul was a sports fan, and that's why I like the guy so much. I mean, there's a lot of things I like about Paul. I love the fact that he just says it like it is. I love the fact that, that he uses words like rubbish in verse 8, which would have been kind of a controversial word at that time. I love that about Paul. I, I love the fact that he was no nonsense. I love the fact that he was sold out for Jesus. I love the fact that he left everything behind to go and be a missionary. There's a lot of things I like about Paul, but I love the fact that he was a sports fan because that justifies my love of sports. <laughs> and I know if Paul like lived in 2008, I think you know he'd have a, a big screen. I think he would. <laughs> because he talks, about, he talks about sports all the time, and you can't watch sports without a big screen. So he would have one. He talks about boxing and wrestling and track and field. And he was a sports fan. It's clear that he went to sporting events. And he loves sports. And he uses that imagery. And the reason he does is because it was relevant to the people. This idea that as Christians, we're just to be completely separated from the culture and isolate ourselves in some weird little bubble and, and not to have anything to do with the world. Number one, that's like Gnosticism, which was an early false doctrine an early heresy in the church that said everything that is of the flesh is evil and everything that is spiritual is good. Well, that's just simply not true. We can redeem things for the Lord. And God wants to use us in the culture and God wants us to be relevant, not irrelevant. God wants us to understand what's going on. It, it isn't Something to be admired when we're ignorant of current events as Christians. I don't know what's going on out there in the world. I just do my own thing. I'm living here in my little bubble. You know, that isn't, that isn't what God wants us to do. God wants us to be aware of what's going on. God wants us to be able to speak into the culture. God wants us to be able to think for ourselves and to give people an answer for the hope that lies within us. God wants us to be able to speak into people's lives and to relate to people. And one of the th ways that Paul does that is with athletic metaphors. 
He wanted to put everything behind him and press on for that one passionate pursuit. And what is the passionate pursuit of your life? Only you know what that is. Only you know what drives you. Maybe it's athletics. Maybe that's the the passion of your life and you put everything into that. And here's the thing. It's going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end. Someday your body is not going to be able to do those things anymore. And if you're willing to put all of that effort and all of that time and all of that energy into that, isn't it kind of sad that we're not willing to, to do that for Jesus? Guys will put so much effort into killing a four-legged animal with bone on its head. Preferably lots of bone on its head, right? We'll, we'll put all kinds of effort and we'll get up at, you know, oh, dark 30. Or guys will do that for fishing or ladies will do that for shopping. I mean, just watch people the day after Thanksgiving. We were driving by Best Buy in the uh, Thanksgiving night. And I saw to the corner of my eye what I thought to be like a row of tents. And I thought, Best Buy doesn't sell tents. That's weird. And, and I thought, people aren't camping, are they? People aren't camping out at Best Buy. Come on. So we flipped around. And sure enough, people have burning barrels out there. People are camping. They've got radios. This one dude's laying on the cold concrete in a sleeping bag. And I'm like, dude. Just pay full price for the thing. It isn't worth it. It isn't worth it. The $50 coupon for the iPod, it's not worth it. Whatever it is. But we're willing to do all of that stuff. But then people will make excuses. Oh, I I can't get up for that Bible study. It's too early. Really? Well, we'll get up to hunt. We'll get up to shop. We'll get up to do all kinds of things. I can't get up to serve. I'm too tired. And it could go on and on, and you know where I'm going with that. We make excuses. And Paul says, man, the passionate pursuit of my life was Jesus. And maybe the passionate pursuit of your life is something good. People will justify that. They'll say, well, the passionate pursuit of my life is to be a good husband or a good wife or a good parent. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. You're going to fail miserably unless Jesus is the passionate pursuit of your life. You can be desiring to be the best parent that you can be, and you can go to the seminars, and you can read all the books. You can move right next door to James Dobson. It isn't going to matter. It's not going to matter unless Jesus is the passionate pursuit of your life. You will fail miserably in every endeavor that you set out to accomplish. Unless Jesus is the passion of your life, unless he is what gets you up, everything else will fail and it will let you down. That relationship will let you down. Athletics will let you down. Hunting will let you down. Shopping will let you down. It will all let you down. But Jesus is always there. Hey, have fun with all the other stuff. Go shopping. I've told you many times I like to shop. I like to shop more than my wife does, I think. It's kind of sad. But I like to shop. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I love sports. But you know what? It's kind of like today. The NFL season's over, right? 
and it's like kind of depressing. It's like, oh man, it's over. We got to wait like six months before it starts again. And all there is is the NBA, you know, NBA is all right, but in it, or when hunting season's over, it's like depressing. So much time, so much energy, so much effort put into it. Or when the, the sale is over. And, or when the, the product that you bought, that you were so happy with, now it doesn't fit anymore. You know, There just comes a point where all of those things will fail. But Paul wanted to experience, he wanted to lay hold, he says, of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. See, Jesus came and he became a man. He took on human flesh. And he was born into poverty. He was born into obscurity. And he was a carpenter for like 30 years. And he was just doing his thing. The God of the universe. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that, you know, maybe you're lonely or maybe you, you don't have a lot of friends or maybe people don't really know who you are and you start feeling sorry for yourself? God knows what you're going through. He lived in obscurity in a little town off the beaten path that would make Prineville look like a metropolis. Little hick town. Poverty. Carpenter. Started his ministry at 30 years old. Completely misunderstood. Had some followers. People began to follow him quite a bit because of what he could do for them. And all that he could give them. And the healings and the demon exorcisms and the food. And, but then when the rubber met the road of all the thousands of people that followed him. You remember after his resurrection as they're there waiting in the upper room in the book of Acts for the Holy Spirit to come as Jesus commanded them to wait? Do you remember how many were there? 120. 120 of the thousands that were following him everywhere he went. Only 120 thought enough of him to do what he said. Jesus, of course, was arrested. He was beaten. He was drugged through the city streets like a dog. He was hung on a cross. He was mocked. He was spit upon. His beard was ripped from his face. And he did all of that for you so that you could lay hold of eternal life, so that you could lay hold of the abundant life. So that you could apprehend that for which you've been apprehended. He did that for you. He has a purpose for you. This isn't just some aimless life, some pointless pursuit. No, we are putting everything behind us. We're reaching forward to those things that are ahead. We're pressing toward the goal of the prize that we might lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. See, he's laid hold of your life. He chose you. He died for you. He came to this earth in humility for you so that you could have 
abundant life so that you could experience all that he has for you. And the only thing that's separating you from that is you. That's the only thing that's in the way. Just like the children of Israel, as they stood at the banks of the Jordan River, and the promised land was ahead of them, the only thing that separated them was the the Jordan River. And they had to take a step of faith to trust God so that they might apprehend that for which they were apprehended. Guys, what's in your way today? Is it a sin? Is it, is it defeat? Is it discouragement? Is it a relationship? Is it a worldly pursuit? What's in your way today of laying hold of all that Jesus has for you? What's the passionate pursuit of your life? For Paul, it was Jesus. I hope that's true of you. I hope that he's all that you want. Paul says, I don't look back. And that's an important athletic metaphor, not looking back. You know that if you're in a foot race, the worst thing that you can do is look back. If you're on a breakaway layup and you're all alone, the worst thing that you can do is look back, right? To think, I hope I don't miss it. If if you're wide open and here comes the ball and you catch the ball and you're running down the sideline and you look back to see how close the defender is, that's the worst thing you can do. Because you lose focus, you lose concentration, just for a split second. How many races have been lost because the person in the lead looked back just for a second to see where his competitors were? And he lost focus for just that second, just that moment. And you know what, you guys? You can't look back. You can't do anything about yesterday. You can't do anything about this morning. You can't do anything about the failures of your past. And Paul was not going to allow his present defeats to hinder his future victory. And I will say this, though. That doesn't mean that, that you don't try to reconcile relationships that you've destroyed in the past. It doesn't mean that you don't try to make good on things that you've done in the past that were wrong. If you've stolen, it doesn't mean that you, you don't go back and, and pay. It doesn't mean you just say, hey, forget it. Forgetting those things which were in the past. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I know I screwed my kids over. Yeah, I know that, that wife I had, I treat her like garbage and that marriage is over with, but I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I know I ripped that guy off a couple of years ago, but I don't have to, to do anything about it. No, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, Go back. Deal with those things. But don't let it hold you from what Jesus wants to do in your life today. Don't let it hinder you. Don't let it keep you from all that he has. Verses 15 and 16, we see Paul's encouragement. He says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Have what mind? That Jesus has to be our passionate pursuit. That we're pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. There is so much at stake. You guys, one day, 
We're going to stand before Jesus in one of two judgments. If you don't know him personally, if you've never asked him to forgive you and to cleanse you from your sin, if you've never asked him to be the Lord of your life, then you will stand at what's called the great white throne of judgment. And you will be judged for your sins. But if you do know him, and you have asked him into your life, and you are a follower of Jesus, and like Paul, you're pursuing him, well, we're going to stand before Jesus as well, and we're going to be judged not for our sin, but we're going to stand at the Bema seat and be judged for what we did with what he gave us. And man, I want my life to count for something. I don't want to stand before the Lord and have him say, wow, that... That was a a nice house. Boy, you you sure did put together a a phenomenal financial portfolio, didn't you? It was amazing. Amazing what you did when I was watching you in 2008 when the economy was going down. I mean, it was amazing how you just, you know, you were there and, and you took risks that nobody else was willing to take. And the interest rates, wow, you were awesome. Or that buck that you killed. I, I saw it. I mean, I, I created it. Actually, I created it for you right there. Did you know that he wasn't anywhere to be found? I put him there. I don't think God's impressed with any of those things. And I don't want to hear him say any of that. I want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a little bit. You pursued me. Now enter into the joy of your Lord. You guys, enjoy life. Enjoy hunting. Enjoy fishing. Enjoy shopping. If you have a nice house, enjoy it. Use it for Jesus. But you know what? That shouldn't be the focus of our life. And that's what Paul means when he says, Therefore, let us as many as are mature. If you're mature, that's your mindset. That you would have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. I love that. In other words, if you're not mature, God will reveal it to you. Paul was confident of that. He wasn't going to argue. He wasn't going to try to convince you to think the way he thought. And I think this is an important lesson for us, maybe as parents, maybe as uh, spiritual leaders, certainly as a pastor. there's nothing I don't have an opinion about. I'm I'm a very opinionated guy. There's nothing I don't have an opinion about. It's not having to share my opinion that I'm learning. Because here's the thing. People will not listen to you and they will not receive your advice unless they ask. So you're wasting your time. And I've kind of come to that realization as I've tried to convince people, you know what, you ought to be involved in ministry. Man, you ought to be here at church more. You ought to serve more. You've got potential. Man, you ought to be doing this. You should be doing that. And you try to convince people, you shouldn't believe that. That's stupid. And you try to convince people of of different things. And you know what, they don't listen because they're not ready yet. They're not ready. It's just like my three-year-old son. I I can't try to teach him advanced English. 
He needs to be able to say ice cream properly. He can't do that. He needs to learn that it's not me want go to park. It's I want to go to the park, right? So I can't teach him advanced English. He's, he's not ready. And sometimes people aren't ready for the things that we want to teach them, but we're, we're just going to beat it into them. We're going to ground this perspective into their mind, and it doesn't do any good. And so I'm coming to a place where I'm able to just sort of smile when people say things to me that I don't agree with. Just, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Wow. And people walk away, and they think, he agreed with me. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> and I couldn't have disagreed with you more. But you were so stoked about whatever it was, about whatever pursuit or, or whatever perspective or whatever thought you have or whatever weird Bible um, doctrine that you came up with that's totally off the wall. And, and I, hey, praise the Lord, man. If, if you don't ask me, I'm probably, and I'm trying to learn this, I'm probably not going to give you my opinion. Trying to do that. Trying to, to come to the place like Paul here where he says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. You guys, don't give people advice if they don't ask. It's a waste of your time. Now, when people ask me, and when people say to me, what do you think about this? Hey, you've just opened the floodgates. Okay? All right, now we can get down to business here. Now you can get some good opinions, right? But when, if you don't ask, you're probably not going to say anything. And I think that's something that, that we need to learn. Nevertheless, verse 16, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Here's another encouragement that Paul gives us here. And I love the, the New Living Translation in verse 16. He says, but we must be sure to obey the truth we have already learned. In other words, apply what you know. We're always looking for something new. You ever notice that? And sometimes pastors get into that trap where they're like, man, I got to give something new to the people, something totally unique, something they've never heard before. And, and you get real deep and you twist the text and you make it say things it doesn't say. And people are like, wow, pastor, I've never heard that before. That was amazing. There's a reason you've never heard it before. It's because it's not true. It's not there, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And sometimes even in our relationship with the Lord, we're like, God, show me something new. God, I want you to, to do something revolutionary in my life. God, I want something new from you. And maybe the Lord is saying to us, you know what? Apply what you know. Apply what I've already showed you. There's plenty there for you to apply. Be sure to obey the truth we've already learned. You know what? There's nothing wrong with wanting more, with seeking something fresh, with asking God to reveal himself, to speak to you. There's nothing wrong with that. But the things that he has revealed to you, apply it. Live it. To whom much is given, much is required. And you know what, you guys? You guys attend a church that teaches the Bible. You've been given much. We go through the word every week. We have no excuse. Much is given to you and much is required of you. 
May Jesus be the passionate pursuit of our life. When he is, it will revolutionize our families. We won't lose our kids to the devil. It will revolutionize our church. We won't have to beg people to help. We won't have to beg people to give, which we don't do, but I won't have to wish that I could beg you to give because (laughs) you'll just give. Just be like, wow, Lord, thank you so much. We don't have to beg people to serve in any capacity or to do anything for the Lord because you guys will want to. We'll have such a powerful impact on this community because Jesus is the best thing about us. And when you pursue him, people will take notice of that. They'll see him in your life and they'll want him. You guys, there's a, there's a community out there that wants Jesus. They just don't know it. They want the real Jesus, the one that will change your life, not the religious Jesus, not the tote a big Bible under your arm Jesus, not the dress up and look all spiritual Jesus, not the approach him with your mouth but have your heart far from him Jesus. No. They want the real Jesus, the authentic one that we read about in the Gospels that sinners were attracted to. Ever strike you weird that sinners aren't attracted to Christians? Think about that. Why is that? I don't know. They were attracted to Jesus and he's God. Something about him being sinless and perfect. And yet they were attracted to him. And here we are flawed and failed Christians and we repel sinners. Something's wrong with that picture. When Jesus is the best thing about you, when he's literally oozing out of your pores, people will want to be around you. People wanted to be around Jesus. You'll be attractive. Our church will be attractive. Because I believe that God's got such an amazing, amazing plan for every one of you and for this community and for this church. And God wants to blow the doors off of this place if we'll pull our heads out and start living for him. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, what a privilege it is to have you speak to us this morning. God, you've spoken to me, Lord. I get to be the one up here to share and to teach, and God, that is an amazing privilege, Lord, and I don't deserve it, Lord, and I'm not worthy of it. God, you have such a great plan for everyone here. God, you want to do such amazing things through this church. God, you want to revolutionize this community. You want to turn it on its ear for you. You want to turn people back to you. God, may we start living for you and you alone. May you be the one passionate pursuit of our life, Jesus. Lord, forgive us for getting other things in the way for putting other things in your place. Jesus, we want you.
we pursue you. We forget about those things which are behind us and we press toward the goal of the upward prize of Christ Jesus, Lord. We want to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, becoming conformed to your death. And Jesus, that's the bottom line this morning is you are calling us to die, to take up our cross. Are we willing? Lord, I pray that we are. And Lord, I... I don't know if if there's some here this morning, Lord, that have never given their lives to you. Who who listened here this morning and and just wondered what it meant to to be your follower and, and couldn't really resonate with some of those things and they think to themselves, I want forgiveness. I want you in my life. Jesus, I, I want to have the hope and the peace and the forgiveness. I want to be freed from guilt. I want to have the promise of eternal life. Lord, I want those things. If if that's you this morning, then just pray with me. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I understand that you came and you took on human flesh. And you died in my place. And Jesus, I understand that the Bible says that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead, I will be saved. And I confess you right now as my Savior. Cleanse me from all my sin and my shame and my guilt. Come into my life. Be my Lord. I want to follow you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. that was you this morning the Bible promises you that you're born again Jesus we thank you for this time Jesus I pray for those here this morning that are followers of you that that are believers and and maybe they just want to start afresh with you they want to pick up their cross They want to begin to live authentically. They want to begin to live, Jesus, in reckless abandon for you. Invite him to do that that work this afternoon, you guys. Invite him to to come in and be the Lord of your life. Invite him to come in and, and to revolutionize you, to change you. Ask him to make this real, that you would lay hold of of that for which Jesus laid hold of you. That you would experience Jesus and all that he has for you. That you would be growing and maturing and not stagnating and going backwards. Invite him to do that. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at com, Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.